Good morning and welcome to our live stream here as we delve into God's Word. And I'm just grateful uh, to be here this morning being used by God uh, as I'm called by God to, to share with you uh, and continue in our, in our series of what does it mean to be a Christian in First John. And I just want to let you in behind the curtain a little bit as I was driving in this morning. Um, I, I had to go back to an old faithful song, one of my favorite uh, Two believers, I, I would even say, um, of all time, as Pastor Michael has been referencing books by African-American authors and black authors, this morning I'm going to reference a song. I'm going to reference a song by one of my favorite um, gospel singers and, and even share with you a little bit of her testimony as it encouraged me this morning as we uh, have a lot on our minds maybe, have a lot on our plate. I know that we not able to meet together, that it seems kind of sparse and sporadic how we gather and, and, and exercise our faith, but I want to point uh, back to Mahalia Jackson. Mahalia Jackson was born in New Orleans, um, and she had a wonderful singing voice, and so much so that she even considered singing in nightclubs as a young lady. She was that talented. Uh, Mahalia Jackson's father became ill, and when he became ill, she spoke with God through prayer and said, Lord, if you save my father, I would never sing in a nightclub. Mahalia Jackson. Mahalia Jackson's father uh, was, was healed and got better. And to this day, Mahalia Jackson, who passed away many years ago, never sang in a nightclub. And I would just want to reference a song when she comes to, she's, she moved from New Orleans and to Chicago, and she grew up actually uh, just a few blocks from my house as a child. Now, I was born in 87, so I clearly didn't know Mahalia Jackson, but um, in the, on the YouTube or in the song, Mahalia Jackson is singing, and she's singing quite exuberantly. She's singing, uh, Joshua won the battle of Jericho. I don't know if that's the title of the song, but that's what she's singing, and she's and the whole church is just in, in great praise and, and in great adoration, you know, and they're just singing along with her. And at the podium is a Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And he's trying to get up there and preach. As, you know, if you guys ever been to a black church, you know, sometimes the pastor will make his way to the pulpit uh, while the choir is still going. We can't necessarily do that here just with structural reasons. But he's trying to speak, and Mahalia Jackson is just continually singing. And it reminded me that I don't know what year it was, but, but I dropped in in the middle of the civil rights movement. And we have Mahalia Jackson and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in Chicago at a church. I don't know what year it is, but man, I see their faith. I see their faith. I didn't know that there was a lynching maybe down the street. I didn't know that there was Jim Crow rampant throughout Chicago and all the South. I didn't know that Dr. King may have been on his way to Memphis and maybe he was killed in the next few years. And if you were watching them in that moment worship the one true and living God, you wouldn't know either. And I just want to encourage us as children of God to, to have that, that passion for the Lord as, as we will see in in. in 1 John 3, man, that's built in love. That's built in love. That's built in love. And so I just want to encourage us this morning and also give you uh, a singer, a gospel singer, and you can download all of her music and all of your kids can listen to it from, yes, all of your kids can listen to it. Mahalia Jackson, it is a treat, it is a joy, and Dr. King referred to her um, as a voice for the millennium. 
And I stand by that. And I stand by that. And so we continue in 1 John chapter 3 this morning. Uh, if you would, please stand. First John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. I'm reading from the ESV. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Amen. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Father, let us take a moment just to marvel at your love. Let us take a moment just to marvel at you and and your perfection, and your beauty, and, and the Trinity, Father. But you call us to look like you. And not only do you call us to look like you, not only do you grant us salvation, not only do you grant us love, but you grant us the, the ability to, to walk in love, Father. That you promise that we can abide in you, and we can be like you, and we have a future hope that we have not yet met, and that what we will be has not yet appeared, Father. And we wait, we await the return of Christ, that we will be like him and be called up to the sky with him and that we will be there when he is in heaven. We are in heaven for all of eternity and we no longer have to think about our sin on this side of heaven, Father. We no longer have to fight the battles of sin. We no longer have to fight the battles of racism. We no longer have to fight the battles of of brokenheartedness. We no longer have to fight the battles of depression, of anxiety, of fear. But we can observe Jesus, and we can be at peace, Father, with him. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, if you know anything about the African-American tradition as we are gathered here on the last day of Black History Month, you know that there is uh, something called a family reunion. There is something called a family reunion. And as I take a step back for a moment, I'm going to title this sermon, Whose Child Are You? So the title of this sermon is Whose Child Are You? So... If you know anything about the African-American experience in America, you know that there is something called a family reunion. 
and my wife and I were having these discussions last night and even years past, and um, it didn't strike me that a family reunion is not something that was universally done here in the States. Now, maybe you do, maybe for some of our white brothers and sisters, there is such a thing as a family reunion. I'm not going to say that there isn't, but uh, I just want to kind of give us the idea of the family reunion here. Um, The family reunion is one which, to really appreciate the family reunion, we have to go back to chattel slavery. Unfortunately, we do, because we know that Black peoples in Africa uh, were minding their own business, living their daily life, and they were one day sold into slavery. They were sold into slavery on a dark journey across the Atlantic Ocean. They were sold into slavery on a dark journey across the Atlantic Ocean in a dark hole in a boat because of their dark skin that led to a dark history for African Americans. And so a family reunion, you might say, um, embodies the sense of, man, we made it. We're here together. You might even see matching shirts of different colors. You may see a tree. You may see uh, a guy on a grill anywhere between the ages of 35 and 65 with ashy ankles wearing open-toed sandals or closed-toed sandals, but you can see his toes, and maybe there's a cigarette in his mouth, but the food is delicious. You may see what we would uh, phrase, well, you may see a matriarch figure, what we would call big mama or someone's mother, disciplining many children across many different generations just because. And she has that autonomy, and you best not go tell her anything different because she has that autonomy and authority. You may see um, people dancing to the electric slide. You may see cornhole. You may see dominoes or bones, as it's often put. You might even see some softball. But the idea is that there's a family reunion. And I want to point our eyes to the text this morning and point our hearts to the fact that I think we can take from from 1 John that the children of God, a child of God, can look to a family reunion. And I titled this sermon, whose child are you? And the big idea is that the children of God are purely set apart for God. The children of God are purely set apart from God. But God in his loving kindness, um, even though with the difficult nature of slavery, has always remembered black people. And I want to take a step back even further in a sense and think that, you know, even as as I think through what's happening in our society and in our world, like, God set me apart purely for him, not just here in the United States of America, but if you think about slaves on plantations, they worshiped God. We didn't really touch on this so much, but, but there's something called the invisible church where slaves weren't allowed to read the Bible. They weren't allowed to worship openly. It was illegal. But as I learned in, in my African-American church history studies, that slaves would then disappear into the woods and they would have invisible church. And I think to myself, if it was that important to them, my ancestors, man, I want to gather with the people of God. Because the children of God are purely set apart for God. John's opens up with a relationship with God and his children established and defined and sustained by the love of God and the love that he has for his children. A child of God, as we learn 
this week, last week, last week actually, in 1 John 2, is tied into our future hope and our present confidence. Like, yes, there, there's going to be forces in this world that, that seek to destroy us and to distract us, and, and even as we talked about the Antichrist, but it doesn't distort the confidence that we have as children of God. We don't walk in this world um, fearful, even though we know that there are sheep with sharp teeth, sheep in wolves' clothing, wolves in sheep's clothing, I'm sorry. But we have full confidence as the children of God. John chapter, First John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10 reminds us that our confidence is in the return of Christ because we will be like him when we see him. And for that, our life will be set apart for him. So my first point this morning, in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, God's children have distinction in this world. God's children have distinction in this world. Verse 1 and 2 and 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now, for those of you listening and kind of reading this passage for the first time, the him in this is Jesus. The him in this is Jesus. And John is speaking about um, the return of Christ. Um, we, and we will not be yet, and we will not be what we will be until he appears. That's, re- that's the return of Christ. But when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And there's hope in that. The return of Christ not only is, 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 is promised throughout Scripture, whether it be from Jesus himself or Thessalonians or here in First John or in Revelation, but there's a purification that goes along with that. But in the meantime, we're set apart for him. So as we unpack these first couple verses, look no further than verse 1. Look no further than verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And that see right there doesn't come through, I don't think does justice in the English, but it's behold. It's, like a, it's not just something to see like, oh, there's, there's a, a brick on the wall or there's a, a door right there. No, it's something to be grasped and to be observed for, for, with great amazement and astoundment. A child of God is a weighty thing. Because it costs somebody (laughs) for us to be a child of God. Amen? And our position as a child of God is beautiful. And that's also a weighty thing. So we take that title with great awe, marvel, amazement, and we take it seriously because we know that we have a distinct standing in this world. It's a privilege being called a child of God in contrast to those who are not children of God. Because remember... The title of the sermon is, Whose Child Are You? So we're either a child of God or a child of the devil. So we as God's children experience God's love. The world, however, experiences God's wrath. And earlier in the text, in 1 John, um, he kind of alludes to this, us being children of God. 1 John chapter 1 Verses 5 through 6, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. 
If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. There's a fellowship that goes along with being a child of God. There's a way that we carry ourselves. There's a way that we, we walk in this world. There's a way that we practice truth in our lives. 1 John 2, 5 through 6. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. So there's an abiding in Christ. There's an abiding in the word. There's an abiding in truth that we have as children of God. The word, submitting to the spirit, knowing the will of God. John has continuously reminded us all throughout this epistle that those who are of God and who consider themselves children of God will actively live out truth, righteousness, and ultimately the character of God both here and now, and we'll see that later, see that realized later. So we can live this out now. This is not something that, yes, we're, we're, we're striving to look more like Christ, but it's not like we have to take many, many, many classes and hear many, many, many sermons just to begin living out our faith faithfully right here and right now. We can do that now. So how can we apply this to our lives? Let's walk in righteousness right now. Let's walk in the Father's distinction right now. Let us be set apart right now. Ephesians 4.1. So the time now is to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, according to, to Paul. Therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. We can walk now worthy of the calling to which we have been called. The time now, the time is now to live a life worthy of the gospel. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving to be, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's Paul again in Philippians 1, 2 through 7. And I think about this like the time is now to walk faithfully. It's hard to use my I feel statements with my wife. And an I feel statement is, honey, this is how I feel about something as, as we are working on our communication. But I, think, I take a step back and think, you know what? God has called me to walk faithfully with my bride, even in communication. It's hard to, to confess sin and brokenness. And even further, it's hard to ask for forgiveness. But we do that now. We strive to look like Jesus as we're being purified. That's in verse 2. It's not enough in this world to be considered a good person. Look, we can donate to charity. We can give all of our clothes away. We can give to food drives. <laughs> I'm a social worker. We can be social workers. We can be an advocate for hurting families. We can get up early to love our spouse through family chores. We can make good grades. Yes, you children, I love you. We can think we do everything right, but man, that is not the distinct mark of a believer in this world. My purification is through the personal work of Christ Jesus, and that helps me be distinct from this world, if you're listening. Romans 8 reminds us, and we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him those who are called according to his purpose. For those 
God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that we, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those who justified, he also glorified. And that's active, and that's later, and that's now, and that's forever. So we can walk faithfully now. I know we're going to have um, some young believers joining us here in the next few weeks and, and years, and I'm so grateful for all the baptisms. And I, just want, I think we should encourage our young people who just got saved and who are getting saved that they can walk faithfully now. They can walk faithfully now because they are set apart by the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the Spirit will testify the truth to them. We need to tell them that now. If they're in high school, they're in middle school, they're in elementary school, if they're going off to college, they can walk faithfully now because they have that kind of love that we have. As we're reminded in verse 1, that they should be called children of God no matter where they go. And we need to remind our children that they're just not living for the here and now, but they live and they walk faithfully so when Christ returns, they can celebrate, that they will celebrate. So for the Christian, being purified in this world goes beyond the simple day-to-day pleasant behaviors. But a calling that sometimes looks awkward at work, yeah. A lifestyle that no one envies amongst your peers. And a budget sometimes that some of our own parents would mock. And we do it now. We do it now. God's children have a distinction in this world. God's children have a distinction in this world. Not only that, but God's children experience victory over sin in this world. Point two, God's children will experience victory over sin in this world. Because what good is it to be set apart for God if we're still being indwelt in patterns of sin? What good is it? Verse 4. And uh, by the way, I only have two points this morning, so that's my second point. <laughs> verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning, verse 4 through 10, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one he keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. But by this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother." And just a heads up and an encouragement, this is not a legalistic text of you have to do this or you're not a child of God, but there's something that that John is getting at, that those of us who have placed our, our hope and faith in Jesus Christ, this will occur. This will occur. We will pursue righteousness. God, John is responding to Gnostics 
whom he had in mind as he was responding to the indifference towards sin. So maybe he's responding to these Gnostic individuals who were indifferent towards sin and the need for obedience. Some of these Gnostics, according to one commentator, would have viewed anything in the physical realm as inherently bad. So if you commit a sin outside of the body in the physical realm, it's inconsequential. Problem with this thought (laughs) is that Christians should not continue in sin, should not have a pattern of sin that that defines their lifestyle. Ah, yes, I I wrote here in my notes. The old minimizing of sin. (laughs) In the modern day, we take take approach like, well, everybody's doing it, Johnny. Scripture clearly speaks against this. There's no such thing as indifference towards sin. John 8, 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Jump down to 34. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's a promise that God, that Jesus is saying in John, if you allow me to take up residence and this be and your body be used as a temple to glorify me, I assure you that we can work on this sin thing in your life and that this will not be a practice. You will not be embedded and defined by and ingrained by sin as a slave, but I will set you free. 1 John chapter 1. Pastor Michael reminded us this a couple weeks ago in the the opening, opening sermon not only can we know truth, as we learned in that, in that passage, but we can practice truth each day and commit it to our lifestyle. Those who profess that Jesus is Lord and have placed their faith in Jesus as atoning work on the cross have assurance that they can see truth, they can know truth. And I want to remind you that we can practice it today. Romans 6 expounds on the idea that Jesus' work on the cross is effective, not just for our salvation, but for us in our daily lives. Romans 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that Jesus as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in the newness of life. For if we've been united with him in death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self, our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. In order that the body of sin may be brought to nothing. So that we no, no longer be enslaved to sin, For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
We're alive in Christ Jesus. That's not when we get to heaven. That's not when Christ returns. That's not at the end of our life when we completely understood the Bible. No, we're alive in Christ right now. We're alive in Christ right now. And this is, this is my, um, my comments underneath. One way of putting it is if Jesus in the flesh died a death we deserve in order to defeat sin and death, how then we, we, can we claim the name of Christ ourselves to be over everything that Jesus died to? Die, eh, excuse me, you all. Jesus died so we could have life and life abundantly. Christ's death isn't invalid. Christ lived the perfect life. He died the death that we deserve. He was buried, bodily resurrection. All of this leads to us having life in Christ Jesus. That allows us to walk faithfully and to die to sin daily. I mean, think about it. We're called New Breed Church, right? Like, it's not, hey, once we get right breed church or once we see him breed church. No, we're new now in Christ for those of us who have placed our faith in him. We're new creatures in Christ Jesus. Galatians 5 says, For it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We don't have to be a slave to sin no more. One commentator writes, Suddenly all things are made new. New life from the Spirit produces new love for God. New desires to obey the Word of God produce a new pursuit of holiness. New desires for the Word of God produces a new pursuit of holiness. There is a new life direction. Live with new passion for God. These born-again Christians give evidence of their election with the fruit of righteousness. This call from the Spirit is effectual, meaning that the elect will certainly respond when it's given. Now, that's a lot to unpack, but I believe that we as believers will respond to Jesus' work on the cross, not because we're good, because that Jesus didn't die, didn't, he didn't die in vain. He didn't die in vain. I believe in life that the life of Christ, the death of Christ, and the bodily resurrection of Christ will take its effect in a believer's life at some point. The believer will desire Christ more than sin. We will experience victory over sin while here on earth. Not, become, not becoming sinless, but truly experience victory over sin in life, over sin and death, I'm sorry. So if, as we take a step back for a moment and just think about the struggles of this world, and, and even like even, a, even a, a step deeper, the struggles in our own heart. Like, man, we have victory over that. Not that it won't be easy. Not that sin will be totally wiped away if we do enough good things. That's not true, but there should be some, some victory somewhere because we are his children, and his death, Christ's death was with a purpose. We don't just give it lip service. Faith is not a family inheritance. And maybe this is for some of us or some of those listening who aren't quite sure. But our faith is not just a lip service. <laughs> it's a life submitted to Christ. 
Our faith is not just a family inheritance. This is not something that my son, by the grace of God, will know Christ, and he will profess the name of Christ, but he's not a Christian just because I'm a Christian. It's not temporary or seasonal when I need it. Maybe I was, you know, I'm going to wait till I'm 60 or 70. I've heard people say, my friends say, I'm just going to wait until I get older and I'm going to believe. We have faithful family favor with the Father as evidence with our lives. Our lives mark our faithfulness, brothers and sisters. It's going to be played out for all to see. And the world is not going to recognize it because they didn't recognize him, as John says. Those of us who know God and profess Christ and submit to the Spirit will not be children of Satan and practice lawlessness. But we will affirm to this world our family heritage as we walk out our lives fighting sin, looking to the one who will bring us the full glorification, Jesus. And so how do we do that? We don't forsake the gathering, as Hebrews reminds us. And this is a time to, to just think about, it's hard to gather right now. Some of us have experienced COVID. We have family members who've experienced COVID. I mean, we'd be kidding ourselves if mental health issues weren't real. The stress and strain of not knowing if you're going to get ill, of, of knowing the situation with family, finances, work. But we still gather. And even if you can't be here with us, please join and watch. Watch the stream. I'm not worth looking at, but Jesus is. We worship as the Psalms tell us to worship in Psalm 150. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. We devote ourselves to the Bible, and Acts two, like Acts 2 reminds us, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That would have been our scriptures, right? Now we have them. And they gave as needed. We devote ourselves to the Word. We pray and ask for the Lord's forgiveness when we do sin in this life. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Word up. That's for me. But think about that. It's not just that he's faithful to forgive, but there's an there's a acting agent of like, he can cleanse us from unrighteousness. We can walk in faithfulness now. We can walk in faithfulness now. And so I just want to encourage us in this season, as we're kind of set apart and we're kind of scattered about and we're, we're, we're not feeling well a lot of times, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And I just want to take us back to that family reunion as I bring this to a close. So once again, if you think about the concept of a family reunion, we take it back to, to slavery, being separated. I mean, you, you land in the Americas and, and your family's completely separated one day to the next. And you find yourself maybe on the Carolinas or maybe in the Deep South and you don't know where your family is. And so the concept of a family reunion is so sweet modern day because you're going to show up to a family reunion. I'd, I'd encourage everyone to go if you haven't been. And you're going to see that, 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 that uncle or that grandpa cooking on the grill with those open-toed sandals that are ashy. And you might not quite understand what he's saying, but I tell you the food is good. And you might even be rebuked for not trying something by a grandma or big mama. You might see people gathered from all generations. You might see people gathered who didn't know each other. I remember 
going to family events and, and my mom and grandmother would take me there and I would walk up to an older lady or older gentleman and I wouldn't have a clue who they were and they would say, this is your cousin. This is your uncle. This is your cousin on your mother's side. This is your uncle on your grandmother's side. This is your great-grandmother's cousin. This is your, 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 your so-and-so's cousin. I didn't know everybody there, but man, if they weren't my family, maybe we didn't look the same quite. Maybe we didn't have the same mannerisms. Maybe we didn't have the same views on things, but we were family. And then sometimes I'd be minding my own business, running around, playing whatever game I'm playing, and some older person would say, come here, you. And I'd go over there because, you know, that's just polite, right? Because it's a family gathering. And they would say, you must be Janice's boy. And I'm like, huh? Yeah, I see it in your nose. I see it in your face. I see it in your cheeks. I'm like, I don't even know you. How do you know that, that this is my mama? Because I see it in you. I see it in you. Man, there's a distinct way the Christian lives in this life, and we're going to see it in each other, and the world won't see it in us, and it's going to be awkward, and it's going to be difficult, but man, when he comes, if this family reunion got you excited, think of the one that's to come. Think of the one that's to come. Man, I didn't see all of my family for a while. I don't know everybody in my family just yet. But man, we are marked and set apart by the love of God as evidence through our submission to Christ and our life on the here and now. We can walk faithfully as a child of God as we await the family reunion. So I ask, whose child are you? Whose child are you?